Apple's been making a lot of news lately by venturing into new areas of business. There's the acquisition of the wearable devices company Fitbit. There are reports that the company is partnering with commercial banks to offer its own line of checking accounts. And then there's the news that the search giant got access to the health records of millions of Americans. According to the Wall Street Journal, the effort is codenamed Project Nightingale. Google got those records through a partnership it made with a large hospital network called Ascension. The companies say the goal of this data collection is to provide better care to patients. Since it's just getting reported now, the program is creating major privacy concerns. The company is one of the most data-hungry tech giants in the world. So what does this truly mean for the Americans whose records are now in Google's possession? And how did we get to a point where tech giants can get this info at all? I'm Ariel Dumras. This is Reset. Christina Farr is a tech and health reporter for CNBC. She's been writing about Google's deal with Ascension. This just absolutely blew up because of various reports that some of this information was not anonymized, that in fact it contained, you know, things about patients that you wouldn't necessarily want to share with a company like Google. What kind of data was shared? So the data that was shared um, was a bit of a mix. Um, So there were some cases where it was fully anonymized information, um, and that was simply to inform some of the analytics work that they were doing. Um, In other cases, uh, the the companies kind of came clean that they were in fact sharing some personal health information, um, which could have been potentially identifying of an individual. When we say that the info is personally identifiable, it could be all sorts of different things, um, including even just dates of service. So when a patient went into the hospital. Um, so we don't we haven't seen yet like any clear evidence that patient names were shared in this in this process. Um, but, you know, these days, I think there's there's a reason to worry about a company like Google having access to any identifying information, because you could imagine that if they combine that um, with, you know, any other data that they have about us, anything could potentially be uh, identifiable. And to be clear, we aren't just talking about, say, Google knowing about people's blood pressure, right? We're talking about Google maybe knowing about people's HIV status or whether they have a mental health issue that requires medication, right? Absolutely. I think the big fear here is that Google will start to learn more and more about our health conditions. And I can imagine already has quite a lot of that information. I mean, the idea that they could then touch our clinical records from when we, you know, go see our physicians at the hospital is just terrifying. Um, and I, adding to this, I would say, is, is that Google has seen some other issues with some of the health things that it's done. I mean, we saw only a few months ago that there was a lawsuit um, from a patient at the University of Chicago. Um, and what came out is that, you know, Google was supposed to be um, making sure that information that was shared from the University of, of Chicago to, to their servers was fully anonymized. But it turns out that there was some dates um, of service that that was actually shared with the company. So that led to a lawsuit. And before that, there was a whole issue in the UK with DeepMind, one of their subsidiaries, having access to patient data. 
So this is all adding up, I think, to this picture that um, Google is not properly just managing this. Um, so I would like to see Google get out there and, and deny that and say we would never, you know, target people based on their medical information and, and just create some some policies around this and maybe even some public forums where people can ask questions of Google and get straight answers about how their health information is going to be used by the company. What about Google's partner here? Why would they want to partner with a company like Google? So Ascension is a Catholic health system. Um, They have lots of different hospitals and they have their own C-suite that is looking for partnerships with tech companies, as are many other health systems in in the U.S. It is quite common now to work with either one of the big three, whether it's Microsoft, Amazon or Google. So Ascension, you know, in theory, would have wanted to have this be very positive for them to have their brand be associated with an innovative tech company like Google. So I think they did see an opportunity to work with a big tech company on that and and sort of be viewed broadly as as a as an innovative mover within the the healthcare space. What was Google trying to do with the data? So uh, my sources have said that there were a few projects that were outlined with Ascension specifically. One of them was that they were looking to build some kind of tool that could search through a medical record really easily. I also heard that they were looking at, could they do some kind of early detection of disease? Um, So for instance, if a patient is likely to have a condition called sepsis, um, which could lead to a fatal outcome, is there a way that they could look at these large-scale data sets and figure out who's, who's most at risk and intervene earlier? And then once they had done that for something like sepsis, they could move on to other conditions. Is it normal, though, for for a company like Google to have access to uh, this kind of data, especially if it's not anonymous? So these sorts of agreements are actually very common in the healthcare industry. I mean, I've seen some folks um, in the wake of of this news say that if these agreements didn't happen, uh, healthcare would in fact grind to a screeching halt. So we see these deals all the time. and, And typically it doesn't involve companies like Google, but it involves healthcare uh, technology companies that you know you may be familiar with, like Optum, um, that will work with health systems uh, regularly on, on large-scale data projects. And in these cases, they have to sign what's called a BAA or a business associate agreement, mm-hmm. which allows uh, for this data to be shared and can actually include some personally identifiable data. Um, so Google is just latching onto a long history of these pre-existing types of projects that we see every day but rarely get reported on because when it's Google, it's a big deal. But when it's not Google, uh, people don't care quite as much. So it sounds like because the name Google is tied to this, people are reacting really strongly. Am I getting that right? That's absolutely the case. This is standard practice. And, you know, all sorts of health privacy folks who I've spoken to in the past few days have said, you know, these deals are are fairly normal and they're routine. Um, Now, I think there is still reason to criticize Google. And and one piece where I would call them out is just the consent. Mm -hmm. Um, So there was no evidence here that Google did tell any of the patients or, in fact, the the physicians that they were doing this work. Um, That only really came out later after the news and and exposing sort of the details of the project. And I think they could have chosen to do that. Um, Did they have to? Maybe not. I mean, some BAAs and some agreements allow for um, this to be done without consent. 
Um, so, you know, what I hope is that after all this and once the dust settles, that we end up having much deeper discussions um, about what we expect when it comes to our health information, who should own it, who should access it, and um, in what circumstances should patients have the right to say no. You sort of alluded to a small number of, of Google employees. Who at Google had access to this data? Google hasn't disclosed yet exactly who those employees were who had access to the data. They have said that this small number of employees were closely monitored. Um, so implying that, you know, those those employees were watched if they did have any access to the information. So at this point, I guess we just have to trust them that those employees weren't sharing this data or attempting to use it for any sort of nefarious purpose. And by nefarious, I would I would define that as selling the data or trying to use it for targeted advertising or even just building tools off the back of Ascension's data sets that they could try to sell down the line to other hospital systems. Um, so we don't know that they did that, but I think, you know, it, Google is asking a lot by just saying, hey, guys, um, you know, a few people had access to this, but don't worry, we had it under control. It's always fun when a large tech company like Google asks you to just trust them. <laughs> exactly. And I think, as has been rightly pointed out, Google has this history of walking into a new sector and then saying, let's suck up as much data as we can. And we'll just use our engineering prowess to figure out what products and tools that we can build off the back of this data. And it seems like they're going into healthcare with a similar intention. And on the one hand, it could be a good thing um, because this work does need to be done in healthcare and um, these sorts of large-scale analytics projects can be really important. Um, but on the other hand, you know, Google just hasn't instilled the public with a lot of confidence that they're going to approach this with all the protections and the controls and just fundamentally do it in the right way. Last week, the Department of Health and Human Services announced it was opening an inquiry into Google's data deal to make sure the company didn't break any laws. It'll be a while before we know the results of that investigation. But all the attention that Google's getting over this has revealed something else. The ongoing and routine ways that our medical records get shared with third parties. So how should we think about what Google is doing with these data? And is there a way to avoid all of this mistrust? That's after the break. What if all your breaking news alerts had a voice? What would that sound like? It would sound like Today Explained. It's a daily news podcast from Vox. I'm Sean Ramos for him. Every day, my team and I take one essential news story, politics, Me Too, movies, sports, science, and we break it down into 20-minute episodes perfect for your ride home. Subscribe to Today Explained on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. From Stitcher and the Vox Media Podcast Network. We trust institutions all the time with our data. And we do have some protections, but they're pretty old and they don't prevent the kind of thing that happened with Google. So what this story about Google and Ascension does is remind us that there's a whole lot of really personal information about us out there in the world, and we don't really have control over it. So I asked Nicholas Tadinetti, a professor at Columbia University who does research using medical records, to explain to me where my medical data might be, who owns it, and what its value is. Yeah, I think that's a question that a lot of people have. And it's not an easy answer. Medical data can come in a lot of different forms. 
Uh, most often you think of the doctor's notes that are being written about you and then stored in your medical file. But in addition, you could imagine that the heart rate data that your phone collects or that devices collect on you could be really informative medical data. Um, so the answer is not really clear, and it's not really clear who owns it. It is often kind of most generally owned by the doctors and the hospitals and the organizations that collect it, um, but it seems to be a patchwork of regulations and frameworks, um, which is why it's valuable for these large efforts to bring data together. What's the law that says what rights you and I have over our patient data? The most commonly mentioned law is actually around preserving privacy, and it is HIPAA. Uh, but it's a relatively old law, and it has to do with making sure that people who have medical data are good custodians of those data. And I'm not a lawyer, but there's not much guidance given on how that data can be used. And in fact, it can be used for quite a few purposes. Hospitals can use medical data in order to optimize their processes. They could want to figure out how to take care of patients better, make sure that wait times are shorter. In addition to that, there is some flexibility in research. Those, those institutions can conduct research. They can authorize research scientists to look at those data, learn from the data, uh, and conduct their own research studies. What kind of information can we learn from medical records? You can learn a lot about the not only the way in which we practice, but try to optimize those processes so that more patients get care faster and they have less side effects. So my research in particular is about adverse drug effects and drug-drug interactions. And so we were able to use just these types of databases to discover that two drugs, the commonly used antibiotic and what's called a proton pump inhibitor, that we take it for heartburn, when those are used in combination, it leads to a potentially dangerous arrhythmia in the heart. Now, this was completely unexpected from what the drugs do. They're not prescribed for anything cardiovascular. They are not known to have any of these effects when used individually. We were only able to identify that through using these large electronic databases of medical records. The, the potential for them is incredibly large. And this is now a drug interaction that's fairly well known, and we're seeing an impact on clinical care because of that. Um, and really, it is something that's only possible because of the advent of these databases and our ability to use them for research purposes. How much data do you need to make that kind of a discovery? Um, in this case, when we discovered this drug interaction, we used medical records from over 100,000 patients to confirm what we were finding. In other cases where maybe you're looking at a rare disease or a rare condition, it might require 10 or 100 times more data. Okay, so we're talking about using information that a lot of people can consider private of a lot of individuals. Mm -hmm, that's right, which is why we need to be so careful about the research that we conduct at our institution and as is standard at most at all research universities in the country. We need to get ethics approval before we conduct any research on these data. As someone working in this field, what did you think of the Google News? Did Google screw up here? From my understanding, everything was perfectly above board. I don't think it's too shocking, and I think that the patients from Ascension will reap benefit from this collaboration. I think it will be good for them. 
What I was kind of surprised by and shocked by is the approach of how it is being done. I think that there is a feeling in the air about who has access to our data, Mm -hmm. how private is our data, and when is it being shared. And when we're being left out of that process, it feels a little like we're being taken advantage of, even if it's legal, and even if they are appropriately protecting our data. I think that what I'm disappointed about in these types of announcements is that there isn't a engagement of the patient population in order to bring them into this process, especially when it comes to a giant tech company that has the type of position and, and ability to interact and reach billions of people. A, a company like Google could set up a system that engages patients directly. It could allow them to see what their data is being used for and what research projects are being used for. And I'm disappointed that they're not doing more to engage the patient population. Along those lines, I can't help but wonder, um, were the people who were involved in your studies, the, the people whose medical information you used to, to do your work on, on drug interaction, do those people know that, that they are a part of your work? They sometimes do and sometimes do not. So um, in our case, uh, our patients are consented um, for care and use of their data within the university and hospital system. And so they are made aware. But I would argue that it takes constant involvement, constant reconsent, um, in order to really do this appropriately. I, I think as the data gets shared more and more freely, um, it's harder and harder to maintain that type of connection with your patient population. And so I think in those cases, it becomes even more important that the outreach and engagement and patient empowerment are there and part of the process. So what's the fear then? Why aren't those companies doing that, right? Is it that they worry that that patients will say, no, you can't use it? And if that's the case, then how do we feel about this entire, the entire philosophy that all of this research is based on? Yeah, I, I think that's, a good question that I don't have a really clear answer to. In our experience, patients are excited to participate in research studies. When we outline what we're using their data for and how we're using it and the discoveries that we've made using previous data sets, they get very excited about participating in those studies. So I don't, I think a lot, most people will contribute and will say yes. So I don't know the answer to that question. What would it look like to conduct research with people's data in an ethical way? I think what we can do is actively engage our participants and give them a voice. I would love to see systems where I could log in and I could see how my data are being used for research purposes. Maybe I could even say that I would like my data to be used more for neurodegenerative disease research. And I would contribute even more data for projects that I care about and for Uh, institutions that I'd like to support. And I think it just begins with giving people the ability to say, yes, yes, I want to be a part of this and I am excited. I think that's how we step forward. Nicholas Tatanetti is a bioinformatics researcher at Columbia University. Nick, thank you. Thank you. This is Reset, and I'm Ariel Zimros. If you want to connect with me, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at ADRS. 
and you can reach the Reset team by emailing reset at vox.com. If you haven't already, subscribe to Reset on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or in your favorite podcast app. Reset comes out every Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday, so check us out on those days. And if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps. We'll be back on Thursday. Later, nerds.